You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjacks.com. We've been talking about discipleship, and it's been awesome. Especially, if, I'll just tell you this. If you were at the first service last week, you, ne- you need to listen to the talk of the second service last week. I did a totally different talk, and not totally different, but I did a very different talk that uh, was recorded, and we're going to include that in this little series that I've been doing on Colossians, uh, the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. Um, what I want to talk about today, this is the third part of Paul talking to the Colossian church, a church that had gone astray over time, had begun to believe philosophies of the world had creeped into their experience or how they were trying to experience Jesus and be a disciple of Jesus. And so this is Paul's instruction on what that looks like. The first week, if you remember, I talked about my surfboard being tethered to Jesus, hanging on to Jesus, the importance of, being, of hanging on to Jesus. And then the second week, last week, I talked more about um, kind of on that journey, the things, kind of a defense. Like our life shouldn't look like this. If we're truly alive in Christ, our life should not look like it does. And that uh, legalism is a very dangerous tool in the hand of the enemy. And legalism can look like us doing these things, believing the lie that if we do these things, we then earn, we can earn God's favor and his affection and his love. Or it can look like kind of free will to the max, kind of cheap grace. And that because I am loved by Jesus, I belong to Jesus, I can set up shop at a strip club and bring Jesus there and hey, I'm forgiven and everything's okay. Both of them are expressions of us not trusting that Jesus is enough, not believing that the cross is enough. The cross is enough. The Pharisee on one side is someone who believes that the cross is enough. I have to do these things in addition to what's been done for me to find life and to find the love of the Father. And the other one is, well, the cross isn't enough. I'm going to live in full self-expression, do what I want, when I want, and how I want, because I just don't believe that Jesus offers life to the full. Both of them are legalistic expressions uh, that can creep into our faith, and that's talk number two. And then today, I want to talk again and finish up, and Paul, actually, finally, for some of you type A people, I am going to give you a list. I am going to give you a list at the end of this talk of things that you can do if you feel like Mac, if you feel like Mac, things that you can do that might create life in your heart to be transformed by the power of the Spirit. However, unfortunately, unfortunately, I will case that with bookends on both sides saying, ultimately though, it's the power of the Spirit living in your heart. Jesus is our only hope, folks. He is our only hope. Dallas Willard design, de, defines discipleship like this. Dallas Willard's an amazing teacher. And um, he's dead now, but said this, and I've been praying about this the whole week. It was really challenging me. I am learning, this is what a disciple is. I am learning from him how to lead my life in the kingdom of God as he would lead my life if he were I. I'm learning from Jesus, being led by the Spirit, how to lead my life in the kingdom of God. What does it look like to live in the kingdom of God as Jesus would live my life if he were I. And Willard goes on to do this great exposition, this great teaching on what would Jesus do is the wrong question. The right question is what would Jesus do if Jesus were me? Jesus was perfect, has perfectly followed the Father. Jesus has lived his life on earth. Now we are called as his disciples to go and do the same. Not the same thing as Jesus or in the same way as Jesus, but being led by our heart, being led by our spirit. That's what being a disciple 
disciple is. I think that's a great definition. But I think that it's hard. You know, before my sabbatical, I was beginning to wobble. If some of you uh, didn't, couldn't tell, I was beginning to wobble a little bit. And my assurance of what, man, do I even want to do this job? I'm not sure I'm called to do this job. I don't like doing this job. And, um, and the elders saw that and my conversation with them and uh, allowed me to, to have space to regain um, in a lot of ways, retrust my heart that I've been called to be the church leader, that I've been called to follow Jesus. And so one of the things that they instructed me to do was find a spiritual mentor, someone that I could meet with that would counsel me and work with me through this. And so I found someone in Denver that I met with about two months into it. And uh, about the third day, he told me this. He said, Antley, you don't trust your heart anymore. He said, what I want you to do when you leave my office today is whatever you want. You can do anything you want. I want you to follow your heart. I want you to trust your heart. I literally had a panic attack in his office. I'm not kidding you. I was like, what, what, what do you mean? Tell, tell me what to do. Tell me the formula. What do, I, what do you mean I can do anything? I, anything? He says, Antley, you've been a Christian for over 20 years. You're a leader. I wouldn't tell this to everyone, but I'm telling this to everyone. You go and follow your heart. You don't trust your heart anymore. You don't trust that God really loves you. You don't trust that he's called you to lead the church. You've stopped trusting your heart. You've stopped being led by your heart. You started looking at what other churches are doing, what other pastors are doing, what other people are doing. And more than anything, God wants you to be reminded that you can trust him, that he loves you. Now, I want you to leave my office today and do whatever you want. And so he told me about this restaurant I went to. I mean, I went outside. I was panicked. I didn't know what to do. I was like, oh my gosh. I can do anything I want. I have the freedom to do anything. Are you serious? So I get out of the office. I'm like nervous. And right when I get down out of the elevator, the first thing I feel is like this wind blows through the, uh, this parking garage that I'm in. And I just feel the presence of God. I, just, I, don't, I can't explain it more. It's just very gentle. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. And I'm like, you know, hopefully I don't end up in a strip club today, right? That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> I hope I don't end up drunk in an alley somewhere. I mean, I'm in Colorado. I could go smoke weed legally. I mean, the, the possibilities are endless. And so I'm walking, and I, and I walk outside, and I see these flowers. I just feel like the Lord says, like, this is my, this is, I created this for you. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I don't want to end up in an alley. I don't want to, because I'm thinking of all the things I can't, I shouldn't do. I, I can't do these things. You know, I start calling Laura every, like, 15 minutes. How you doing? I'm just doing good. I'm right here. But um, so I go to lunch. I go to lunch, and I'm sitting in lunch, and I, I eat, and uh, over the last few days, the Colorado Rockies have been playing home games, and I grew up playing baseball. I had this inkling, oh, I, I remember there's a Rockies game this afternoon. I'll go do that. I would love to go watch the Rockies play. I'd love to go to this baseball game. That must be what God wants me to do. That's what my heart's saying. That's what I'm feeling. I'm going to go follow my heart. So I get home, but I'm like, you know, but I don't want to take the tram down there. I'm going to take a taxi. That's way less effort. It's easier. That's what my heart wants to do. I'm going to take a taxi. So I go to my hotel. We look at the game, and the guy's like, yeah, I think there is a game today in the afternoon. He's like, I tell you what, though. Instead of a taxi for about the same price, we'll get you a driver. I'm like, a custom driver? He's like, yeah, it's about the same price as the taxi. I was like, bring it on, baby. That's what my heart desires. <laughs> that feels right. Feels right. So this guy pulls up in this taxi. I get in the taxi, or this, in, this, in this, like, you know, 
big, nice black car with leather seats. And uh, it's not a limo, but it would have been nice. I mean, anyway, so I get in this car, and the guy's driving me down there, and it starts dumping rain. I mean, pouring rain. Traffic's horrible. I'm on my way to the baseball stadium, you know, and, uh, and, and so I'm like, well, I'm just going to check my phone. And it's kind of like, you know, so I check my phone. And, and I find out on the way, like I'm about halfway there, I find out the game didn't start at 3 o'clock. It started at 2 o'clock, and it's the seventh inning. I'm like, well, what's up with that? Obviously, my heart got it wrong. I'm paying all this money, and this driving, driving to the airport, it's pouring down rain. I have my sunglasses with me. I mean, I'm thinking like, what the hell? I got my sunglasses with me. It's raining outside. I'm obviously not doing this right. I'm failing and following my heart. And I'm driving in traffic. It's ever. And, and it turns out, you know, that it takes a while to get there because of the rain. And, uh, and right when we pull up, we get to the stadium, I, I realized there's a rain delay because it had been raining. And so the game had stopped in the middle of the seventh inning. And the score was zero to zero, all right? So I was like, well, I'm here. I'm following my heart. I guess I'll go to the game. I was going to buy, like, a nice ticket. But there's people flooding out of the stadium. I'm like, are they going to play the game? They're like, yeah, we're going to play the game. So I go, well, I'm going to buy the cheapest ticket possible. So I buy this $15 ticket. I walk in the stadium. And I'm like, well, I want a hot dog because I'm at a baseball game. And I'm at Coors Field. i got to get a Coors. So I get a Coors beer and a hot dog, which led to horrible indigestion later. But anyway... <laughs> I'm gluten-free now. But anyway, so I'm, I, go, I go in the stadium, and because there was a rain delay, and they're getting ready to play again, there's like a million seats. I can sit anywhere I want. And so, and so I have a $15 ticket, and they're like, yeah, just kind of sit wherever you want. So I'm like, well, I want to go up high so I can see everything. That's what my heart's telling me to do, so I'll just do that. So I go up. I'm by myself in the top of these stands, right? Okay. Eating a hot dog. Drinking a Coors beer in Coors Field. My, I mean, it's amazing. It's epic if you're a baseball fan, okay? And this is all taking place. And all of a sudden, the game is get, I sit down, and the delay's over, and the game starts. The game's getting ready to start, okay? The game starts whenever I sit down. I'm in my place. They scored eight runs in the last two innings. There were four home runs. Four home runs. And the last two innings, it was the most exciting, out-of-control, action-packed baseball game I'd ever been to in my life or ever played in in my life. It was insane. And what happens? The sun breaks through the clouds. I'm on the top of the stands. I have to put my sunglasses on that I had in the middle of the rain. I put my sunglasses on. I'm watching this amazing baseball game in a still, quiet voice in my heart. It says, Antley, this is how much I love you. I've done all of this for you. This is my creation for you. Do you trust me? Will you trust me? This is how much I love you. And I went on that night. I didn't have a ride back home. Didn't plan for one. And I wandered through Denver the whole time hearing God say to me, just trust me. This is what I want you to do next. This is what I want you to do next. And this is what I want you to do next. Will you let me lead you? And the beautiful thing is that not only did he say those things, but I didn't end up in a gutter somewhere, smoking weed or getting trashed, doing all those things because I didn't want to, because I was being led by the Father. I was experiencing his love for me, his life for me, the design that I was shaped for. And I went in the next day 
to my, my spiritual director and said, Antley, this is really easy if you're not too careful. This is really easy if we're not too careful. You see, we are designed to be led by our heart. We are shaped to be empowered by the Spirit. We aren't conditioned for rules. We have been set free from them so that we can find life in Jesus, life in the Father, being led by the Father. And as much as I say that story and you're thinking, I want that same thing, to trust our heart at times can be difficult. To know that, is this my heart leading me? Or am I going to end up with a hooker in a $2 hotel room somewhere? Because it's my flesh. Or it's my bad habits. Or it's this or that or the other. What I mean, how do we discern that? That's the exact thing that's happening in the church of Colossia. Paul's trying to teach the Colossian church. Paul's trying to teach them that you're a new creation, alive in Christ. In this last passage, we see things. And so you need to... Stop doing these things because that's not what it looks like to be led by your heart. And then you need to start doing these things because these are natural things that flow out of a heart that's been transformed. And if you're not experiencing that, then here are some things that bind it together and that you can do. But in the end, make no mistake, church, that I'm not going to give you a set of rules. You were built to be led by your heart, a transformed heart. So that's what we pick up in this third section of Colossians in the Colossian church, in the book of Colossians. It says this, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things on on the earth. Not, Not on the things that are on earth. For you have died. He's already said all this in the last Two weeks, we've talked about this. You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And the word for hidden there is that Jesus is shielding you. He's protecting you. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And this is an amazing statement I'm going to teach on today. But basically what will happen, Jesus appears, then he holds you up and says, look at my awesome creation and all the things that I've done in the life of this person. Look how beautiful I am as a result of them being led as my disciple by their heart. That's what's happening in that verse. You ever think about that? Jesus returns, and he holds you up, and he says, look, everybody, look how awesome I am. Look at how beautiful I am. That's what happens. And Paul's trying to convince the church that this is how Christ sees them. This is how the Father sees them, because he knows that it's hard. So those are the don'ts. The thing says, It goes on, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and covetedness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but you're not anymore. You're a new creation. This is what it doesn't look like. If you're experiencing these things, you're not being led by your heart. But now you must put them away, get rid of them. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Here are the dues. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. This is what it looks like 
to be living out of a transformed heart, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we we see Paul. Live from your heart. When you live from your heart, you're gonna put away these behaviors, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Put them all away. This is not who you are anymore. You have died. You have risen in Christ. You're a new creation. All of them must go. They create death. That's not who you really are. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. These are things that when you're participating in them are a non-reflection of a transformed heart. So when you're doing them, just know you're not living from your heart. Just, not, just know you're being led by either your flesh, the world, the enemy, or your own selfish desires, okay? That's not what it looks like. So Paul's telling us, if you're doing these things, you're not, being trans, you're not living in the way that, that Christ has died, he's hidden you for. You're settling for less. You've been created for so much more. There's a quote on Facebook today by Matt Jensen, a, a local leader of a church that started downtown. It's an amazing church, amazing. This guy's doing an amazing job. And, he, and, and the whole quote is about reminding us that we are created for eternity, but we're living like this is all there is. We're created for something greater, but we're living like this is it. So we're living selfishly. We're living an idolatrous life. We're sacrificing our family and our kids and our, and, and our pleasure for the world. When there is life, eternal life, something better for us, God has given us his whole creation that we are the crown of, but we settle for less. And he says this, he says, do not lie to one another. Don't fake it. He says, this is how it works out. He's starting to, he's foreshadowing what he's really going to tell us about the importance of relationships. He's like, He's like, so when you start doing these things, don't hide, don't fake it. Don't be like the Pharisees who live this way and then go, or, or they're living this hidden life and then go pray like it's not happening. Don't lie about this anymore. Let's be vulnerable. Let's be honest. Let's be real. When these things happen in our life, because they will, they will when they do, let's be honest with each other and talk about them, be vulnerable, understanding that we are still saints who struggle with sin and we need Jesus. Failure is the reminder that God gives us that we still need Jesus. We need to be led by Jesus. We need to be filled by the Spirit. We need to be led by our heart. So don't fake it. It's okay. We'll love you. God will love you still. And then he goes on into step two. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. This is who you really are. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. It's what it looks like when you're living out of a heart that has been transformed, that believes that they're a new creation, changed by Jesus Christ. These are the attributes of your life. And then he says, how do you do this? This is the hard part, I'll tell you this. Bearing with one another. And if one, of, if one has a complaint, and you will, against the other, forgive each other, 
as the Lord has forgiven you so also you so you also must forgive. You see, God knows that we aren't created to do this by ourselves. We're not. We're not. So he he says, live this way in relationship with each other. And then he takes it a step further. Not just in relationship with each other, bearing with one another, kind of like, yeah, we're just kind of got to get, gotta get through this together, don't we? I know you hate me, I hate you, and I think you suck, and I know you think I suck, but hey, we're kind of in this together. No, 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 no. Paul takes it to another step. He says, and above all things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Dang it. I love thing. Not only are we called to work this out with each other, we are called to work this out in love towards each other, above all things. When you read this section and commentaries, what he's trying to say is that love is the catalyst or that, that makes this happen. But more importantly, love is like the glue that holds it together. It's our only hope for having a transformed heart. You cannot have a transformed heart and live a loveless life outside of relationship with other people. Not just your wife, not just your close friends, but what the Bible's talking about here, what Paul is saying is that for you to really understand what it means to have a transformed heart and to live out of your heart requires you to be in relationship with other people that you're gonna have to love. And that only in loving them will everything work together in perfect harmony. Without love, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Jesus said this. I mean, love relationships are key. And you've heard me say this. Without love, relationships, transformation doesn't happen. Relationships are the fabric of transformation. Jesus says this. Just before Peter's getting ready to deny him, when he's getting ready to leave, Jesus is getting ready to leave them, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this... All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What does it mean to be a disciple? If I were to sum it up in one verse, it means to love one another. Because you can't with a transformed heart. A list of rules, do's and don'ts, will not make it possible for you to love people that you're pissed off at or that are angry at or that have hurt you. You can't do it. You can only do it with a heart that has been transformed. It's like the litmus test. How are you loving people? How are you loving your enemies? How are you loving people that have hurt you? As you do so, so you have a heart that has been transformed. Love is what makes everything work. It's the perfect bond. It's why we began with the question, do you trust that God loves you? Do you trust that he will lead you out of his love for you? Jesus says it. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. You see, as we begin to believe that God really loves us, and we begin to believe that he will lead us, he knows that that is necessary for us to love other people because it's hard to love other people. It's really hard to love other people. But Jesus says, I've laid down my life for you. Do you believe me? Do you trust me? That I will then lead you to lay down your life for other people. Well, Antley, what do you mean i got to lay down my life? That doesn't, that doesn't sound like joy and fun and excitement. 
But Jesus gives us the example. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And just later, that's John 13, John 10. Then John 15, he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. I'm the example. You want to be my disciple? Then live like me. Greater love is no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Jesus is saying, you want love? You want peace? You want rest? You want to live out of a transformed heart? You want your heart to be transformed by my spirit? Then just know this. It will require you to sacrifice It will require you at times to make decisions in your life that will cost you. That's what Jesus' love looked like, thankfully for us. And when we begin to believe that and live from that, our heart is transformed and we're able to die to ourselves, like David said the first Wednesday, and live for Jesus Christ. Here's the beauty of God's plan. As we do this, as we trust that he loves us, and we start to see these, these things bubble up in our life, we're doing things that don't make sense. We're getting crazy for Jesus. We're loving people that hurt us. We're forgiving people that don't deserve our forgiveness, but we're doing it because we've been forgiven. We're living out of the love and the belief that God really does love me, he d- really does want me to trust him, that he really is leading my life, that he really is good. When we begin to live this way, whew, rest, peace come into our life in a way that you are so hungry for, in a way that you are designed for. You find the life that you've come here looking for today. You find the hope that you come here looking for today. You find the rest that you are so hungry for, that you so need in your life of chaos. It comes in this life, living this way, trusting in Jesus, peace, rest, contentment, In verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to to which indeed you were called in one body. This peace is the condition of rest and contentment in the hearts of those who know that they are in Christ, who are living out of that knowledge, who have understood that they have been forgiven a great debt and therefore are able to forgive a great debt to those around them and to love like this world needs to see us love who knows that there's nothing that can separate from the, the love of, of Jesus Christ, that they have died to their old self and they have risen and they're this new creation in which all things are possible when we're living out of a transformed heart. And I began the service this morning with Philippians 4, 7, where Paul says, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your thoughts in Christ Jesus. It is the peace of Christ because He has done it. You can't make this happen. You can't find this peace in a set of rules or regulations. You can't go and get a degree and earn this much money and find the kind of rest that God is offering. You can't live in a safe community and find this kind of rest and this kind of peace. You can't send your kids to the right school, to the right colleges, and believe that they will find this kind of rest and this peace. This kind of rest, this peace, has been purchased eternally, supernaturally for us on the cross and only comes through Jesus Christ living out of his love for us, a transformed heart, being led by the Spirit. That's where this peace comes from. It's amazing. This peace is crazy. This peace will change your life. 
It's better than sex. It's better than drugs. It's better than alcohol. It's better than partying. It's better than having a family. It's better than getting married. It's better than going to this college or that college. It's better than anything you've ever experienced and anything that you'll ever know. It's what you were designed for. It's eternal, but it's here now for anybody who chooses to live out of Jesus Christ, who chooses to receive the blessings and the love that he has for us. It's here for us now, but it will not come in the form of a formula or a list or something that you can pick up and do. It will come, only come through Jesus Christ, believing in his love for you, trusting that he is leading you, and being thankful. Paul begins to close the section. Get out your pens and paper now, because this is one of you four things to do. I'm just kidding. They're so simple. He says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And now, again, this isn't a formula. This is saying, hey, if you're not feeling it, here are some things you might want to be participating in that I've already told you to be doing. If you're not doing them, they're not going to make your heart transform, but they're going to position you in a place where you can receive the blessings and the love and the joy of Jesus Christ. The word, let the word dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in, the hearts of, in your heart's to God. There's four things. Let the word dwell in you. Meditate on the word. Read the Bible. Listen to the word. Spend time in it soaking. Pray the word of God. Spend time. Dwell. The word of God dwell in you richly so that it is in, it's been saturated into you. Number two, teaching is necessary, not just on Sunday morning, but throughout the week. City groups, momentum, knit together, do's and donuts, theology on tap, other sermons, teaching, someone teaching you. Go under, again, and this is where it begins, you know, where we have a hard time. Allowing others to have authority in your life to lead you and to teach you and to speak truth into your life. And that's what we come, number three is admonishing. What does that mean? It means to set right, to set right, to have a corrective influence on someone. Yes, that means that you need to, if you want to live this way, Paul's saying, to find this life, you need to find other people in your life you're willing to correct your heart, to speak a word that will correct your heart, to make your heart as it should be. So as they see you sliding off the deep end, you're giving them permission to speak truth to you, to be honest with you. Some of the most powerful and potential, some of the, the, the people that are sitting here today, some of you, you want to live this way, but you're not willing to sacrifice and relinquish authority in your life to other, other people, to trust other people, to love you. But Paul says, this is necessary. This isn't an option. This is how things work out. In relationship, love relationships, trusting other people, giving people an opportunity to be honest with you, to correct you, but then also for you to in love correct them. And the third way is worship, corporate, private, praise soaking throwdowns ignite prayer means coming up whenever we're in the middle of worship just going for it worshiping in your home alone or whatever someone had a word and worship when we were worshiping and they said i just feel like in ministry today people need to experience worship that's how they're going to be healed it's so true we've seen that in our church again and again and again but then paul brings it back after he gives us this little list of four things i know you've been craving for for the last six weeks that I would give you a little list. That's it. That's it. But then he ends with this statement. 
Paul brings back, it back to the heart in verse 16 with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Then he says in verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. How do we give thanks to the Father? All of this is to give thanks to the Father for what we've received in Jesus Christ. How do we do that? By doing everything we do. Word or deed, that covers everything. Word or deed, that's everything we say, everything we do, all right? Everything you do, and we're to do in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What, this is what that statement means in the original language. It means, how do we give thanks to the Father? Everything we do, word or deed, on his behalf, out of his resources. On his behalf, from his resources. Not our strengths, not our disciplines, not who we are, not what we can do, from the Holy Spirit living inside of us, empowering us out of our relationship with Jesus. That's how we thank the Father. As we live as one who's been saved, who's been risen with Christ, only comes by trusting Jesus, believing that Jesus loves us and that he will lead us. That as, as we experience his love, we then will trust him, empowering us through his Holy Spirit. As we allow this to happen, our heart is transformed and we start to live and act differently. It looks like love. That's what it looks like. It looks like love towards one another and to the world. feels like sacrifice for us at times, but the fruit of our life is a peace and a rest that we are longing for. And as we fail in this journey of discipleship, being a disciple, which Paul says we will, we might stumble and it'll look like our old self, some of those attributes, Slander and malice. Jesus says that bear with one another. Correct your brother. Love your brother or sister. Walk with them through it. Admonish them. Teach them. Love them. Sacrifice for them. Lift them up. So they will be reminded of who they really are. Worship together. Find your strength and your power, dwelling in the word, praying the word, worshiping. This life comes from living out of Jesus' love for you and his power hidden by him. Do you believe that God's greatest effort, all of his creation, in the same way he spoke it to me that day, that afternoon, is for you to experience this kind of life? When we look at the cross, do we trust that Jesus was enough? Do you believe that God loves you like this? Will you trust his love for you? Will you let God transform your heart and lead you from your heart? If you do, the invitation is to be his disciple. And it's not as hard as you think as long as you're not too careful and you trust your heart. Let's stand. If you're here today, and you're like, I know who Jesus is, but I've never experienced that kind of peace. I've never experienced life like him. And you want to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, we'd love for that to happen on this side of the stage. You just tell your prayer master, I want what Antlin was talking about. I'm not, I don't understand it all the way, but I want that. I've never had that. I want to begin that relationship, and they'll just pray for you. That's what it means to follow Jesus, become a Christian. 
Others of you, if you'd like prayer for physical healing, we'd love to pray for you over by the cross. Just tell your prayer minister what you want prayer for. But the rest of us, if we are really hungry, it may be for the rest or the peace that our lives, and we feel like our lives are in chaos, then I'd encourage you to come forward. If you're really hungry to grow in your, in your love for Jesus and your love for other people, and you just, you've been a stalemate, you just haven't been able to do it, I would encourage you to come forward. You hear a testimony like Max, and you're, that's, you're thinking, that's a prophetic word for me. I'm struggling. I feel depressed. I'm tired. I am weary. Then come experience God's love today. If you're like the person I said, I just, my life feels like this. I just, I need to express myself in worship. Come down front, find room, and worship the Lord. But the invitation is for everyone and anybody, anything that was said today, you would like more of Jesus, come and receive prayer. Our prayer minister is going to come down now. We'd love for you to come down now as well. We're going to have ministry, and we'll just see what God wants to do. So come forward.